Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. If you got your Bible, Genesis chapter 9, let's read a story about honor. This is ironically, uh, this is right after a, a great rainstorm. Uh, the, the animals lined up two by two. Noah spent uh, about nine or ten months or longer on a floating zoo with his family. And uh, we know the story, and uh, right after Noah gets off the ark is where we're going to pick up reading in chapter 9, verse 18. It says this, the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham. Who's the second one? Not turkey, but come on. And Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these three the whole earth was populated. Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and was drunk. Someone say, "Uh uh-oh. He became so drunk that he actually became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, Ham, the father of Canaan, very important here, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and went in backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away. They did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine. Someone say the hangover. We could have titled that message this. The hangover. And he knew what the younger son had done to him. Then he said this, cursed be Ham. Cursed be. Ken was the only one that caught it, but he was at first service. That was a spoiler. Cursed be Canaan. He says, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. And may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. We'll pray this morning on Super Bowl Sunday and believe that God's going to do something great as we start this series off. I want to give you a foundational message today on honor. Someone say honor. Awesome. I want to pray. Lord, I just thank you for the next few moments that you would just come in this room. I pray that you would speak to us where we are. I ask you whether we're a first-time visitor or we come every single week that you would meet us where we are today. Our desire is to know you more and to love you more. And so, God, I just pray you would meet us where we are, lead us into where you want us to be. And, Lord, we pray that your team would win the day in the game. We do pray that you would favor the Los Angeles Rams Rams, and the Rams. And I pray that it would be an awesome day, great game. In Jesus' name, come on, if you believe it, say amen. Amen. I want to bring your attention. I did pray for the Rams last week, guys, two weeks ago. And they did win miraculously. So there may or may not be a correlation. Who's ever spent too much time with family? If you're sitting by your family, don't raise your hand. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I've, uh, I've, been, I've been there I, I, holidays pretty much every year. I get my full dosage of family time. Isn't it funny that, you know, a month from Thanksgiving to Christmas can give you all the family that you need for about 11 months? And I love my family dearly. I love my in-laws and my family and... Uh, we have a bunch of holiday, holiday traditions. I'm sure you do, too. Our, our holiday traditions are uh, we would go to my side of the family for a sleepover on December 23rd, Christmas Eve Eve, and then all of my brothers and I would sleep in my mom and dad's uh, my mom's house, and then the next day we would go to church for Christmas Eve service, and then we would go to Rochelle's parents' house, and we'd have a sleepover there for two nights. And uh, after three days of fun family times, I'm usually ready to go back to my own house. It's funny because my brothers and I are all grown men. My little sister is grown up now as well, and we have our own families. And it's interesting that when, you're, when your kids come home, my mom, even though we're grown men, 
she thought because we're staying at home that she's got to start treating us like we were still living at home. And it's funny, we get home, and it's great at first because my mom's cooking for us. She's watching our kids. She's doing our laundry. It's like, why did I ever move out? <laughs> and uh, about six hours into the adventure, though, uh, it never fails. Mom starts telling us our curfew. She'll come in at about 9.30 and, like, wipe her eyes. She'll be like, guys, it's so late. It's time to go to sleep. I'm like, Mom, the night is young. We're all playing video games like we're 13. We break the Nintendo out, come on, with the, with the gun. Playing, intent, uh, playing Duck Hunt, can I get an amen? There's three real Christians in the room. I remember, though, we do this, and the mom comes in, and she's feeding us. I have the mom that tells me, you have this, mom? When you're not full. It's like six plates of food before you. And she's like, oh, you got room for more? I'm like, mom, I'm stuffed. I'm going to be making the biggest losers, our biggest winners, look like the biggest losers if I keep eating this food. And she's telling me when I'm not full. And then she's our alarm clock in the morning. Mom comes in about 7 o'clock in the morning. She's an early riser. And she's like, guys, you need to wake up. You're sleeping the day away. I'm like, mom, it's Christmas break. Jesus is still sleeping. You know what I mean? Like, give me a break. It's 7 o'clock. And, and my mom's doing the chronological shower. There's a full house. So she's like, all right, Mark's going to do the first shower. And then, and then John's taking a shower. And then my, his other brother, Lucifer's going to take a shower. And, my oldest brother's name, and uh, his name's Satan, I'm just kidding, um, but uh, it's funny, you go home, and mom starts kind of articulating all of these things, and bossing us around, and I'm like, mom, I'm, I love you with all of my heart, but I'm a grown man, grown man, and then we go to my in-law's house, very, very similar experience, that, you know, parents are doing everything for you, and it's good at first, but after a while, it's like, man, I'm looking forward to my own house, being the king of my own castle, and I get home, and I'm like, man, thank God for family, but thank God for my own house. And I know if you can relate to this, but we read the story in Genesis chapter 9, and what we see here is, is immediately after Noah gets off of the boat, he plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk. I want to be clear here. We know the motive of why Noah got smashed. He spent 10 months with his family on a boat with animals, so we, I'm, not, I'm not justifying. It was wrong. But we know why it happened now. So Noah gets off the boat. He drinks too much. He, he, he actually gets so drunk that he's naked in his house. And his, his sons, his, one of his sons, Ham, comes in, sees his father having a low moment. Someone say it with me, low moment. Anyone ever have a low moment before? You don't have to raise your hands. But I think we're, we're being honest today. We all, as human beings, we don't have moments of our life that we're proud of. And I want to just bring your attention to this because I believe that what we're going to learn this morning is that God is interested in covering us when we have low moments. When Adam and Eve had a low moment, it says that they covered themselves with leaves that were temporary, but God actually sacrificed animals, which was a, was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do to cover the nakedness of our mistakes. We serve a God that covers, but we live in a society that shames and I believe that one of the greatest messages, I could, if I could teach you on great families, great businesses, great marriages, great, great kids, and a great church, I believe the foundation is this really simple thought that honor is the foundation of everything that is healthy. Say it again. Honor is the foundation of everything that is healthy. You show me something healthy, and I'll show you someone, somewhere, that is honoring. And what we find here is that we live in a society that's very dishonoring, like Ham. Ham walks in, sees his dad naked and drunk, and he's like, you are so dumb. You are really dumb. 
hide your kids. I know he's like, he, uh, he, uh, he comes in. He starts making fun. Noah's out of his mind drunk. He's like, double rainbow. What does this mean? You know what I mean? And, and I'm sorry. Some jokes here. And watch. He, Noah's out of his mind. He's in, and, and so Ham starts to dishonor his father. And what happens here is as he's dishonoring him, he goes outside. He's like telling Shem and Japheth. He's like, dad is drunk. Dad's an idiot. Man, what a, what a, what a stupid decision. And he starts shaming his father, who is the only patriarch alive. And I believe there's parallels with our society in this story, in this, that we live in an honor-deficient society. Fundamentally, we live right now. I remember, teach, I remember studying honor about a decade ago, and God started giving me some of these ideas I'm sharing with you today. But even in 10 years, the, 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 the distance we've traveled from dishonor to greater levels of dishonor in a decade are mind-boggling. Social media has elevated the voices of dishonor. You, go, you have a bad experience on an airline, what do you do? You get on Twitter, and you at the, the airline company, and you say, hey, your stewardess is ridiculous, and they treated me this way, and you should fire them. And if we don't like something politically, we go on our Facebook, we go on rants, we don't like something uh, at, a, at, a, at a restaurant, we go on Yelp, right? We, we start firing off, this cook was this, and this server was that, and the owner was rude, and it's interesting that we live in an era, and I'm not saying we can't have opinions, but I do believe that God looks for honor before he does anything great in people. Show me someone that does something great in the Bible, and I'll show you someone somewhere that made a conscious decision to be honoring. The reason why God rejected Saul, the king, and accepted David, his, his servant, was because David was honoring and Saul wasn't. David had javelins being thrown at him by his pastor, by his king, and literally doesn't leave the church or the kingdom. He's honoring to Saul in the face of dishonor. I'm telling you, you read the book, The Tell of Three Kings. And I find it over and over again throughout the Bible that God is interested in people that have an honoring spirit. And as a church, this is a foundational thought, I believe that oceans will be great at honoring God. And not only will we be great at honoring God collectively, we'll be good at honoring each other individually. Honor is what causes everything to be vibrant. Are you still with me? And what I've learned about dishonoring people is, like Ham, they don't realize a couple things. Number one, Ham didn't realize that the person he was shaming was the only person that had the power to bless him. Check this out. Noah is the only patriarch alive, alive, only one, and Ham is one of his sons, and back in Bible days, the, the person that bestowed the blessing on you was the father. Abraham laid his hands, right, on Isaac and blessed him. Isaac laid his hands on Jacob and blessed him, and so Ham doesn't realize that the person he is shaming is the only individual that has the power to bless him. And I believe that many people don't realize that what we dishonor oftentimes is a lot of us, we dishonor what has the potential to bless us. We dishonor bosses, we dishonor leaders, government officials, pastors, parents. It's interesting, over and over and over again, we find that we live in a society that's really, really good at dishonoring people that have the ability to bless us. Now, I like to laugh. I like comedy. I like a good comedian. And, and people always ask me, like, Mark, who do you, who's your favorite preachers? I say, I like to listen to different preachers, but I think I've learned more from stand-up comedians than I have from pastors as it pertains to public speaking. Because pastors, you look at your clock after 30 minutes and say, when's this guy going to be done? Comedians, after an hour, you're like, please come back and tell us more jokes. And I've learned here that communication, the style of it, is just as important as what you're saying. And so here we find that, that 
I love comedians, but my problem with most comedians in the day that we live in, they're not really funny anymore. Most comedians nowadays aren't funny. They're just so dishonoring. They are so crude that you're laughing not because it's funny, but because you're like, human beings shouldn't talk like that. <laughs> That's painful. You watch Saturday Night Live. You watch all these skits. It's like, you're not really that innovative and funny. You're just so dishonoring that you're laughing out of a shock factor. Are you following me? And so dishonoring people don't realize that, number one, dishonor uh, is usually connected to uh, talking bad about people that have the power to bless you. And number two thing that people that don't realize about the power of dishonor is if you're not interested in it today to be an honoring person, let me give you one good reason. Dishonor will never always just affect you. Dishonor will always affect your kids. Notice when Noah wakes up, he doesn't say, curse be ham for dishonoring me. He says the curse is going to come on your kids, not on you. And I believe, and my father-in-law was, as you, know, as you saw last week, he was here, very, very wise individual. My mother-in-law, same way, very wise. And what he taught me was, he said, Mark, I was a principal and a school teacher in the public school system in Portland for a lot of years. And what I learned was, is that parents that would talk bad about the teachers in front of their kids, or talk bad about the pastors in front of their kids, or talk bad about the leaders in government or whoever in front of their kids, were the same parents that came to me years down the road that lost all control with their kids because their kids stopped respecting them as their parents. And this is what he told me. He said, Mark, kids can't differentiate between one authority and another. So when you speak bad about a, a leader in front of your children, what you're doing is you're speaking bad about all authority. Are you following me today? So you think you're pulling out the rug between police officers or between the president or the governor or the city council member or the principal or the police officer. When you speak bad about one authority, dishonor doesn't just affect that authority. It affects your authority. Are you tracking with me? And we live in an honor-deficient society. And many of you today, you're going to hear this message and go, man, my parents did me a disservice. I don't want you to listen. You can't hold people guilty for crimes they weren't aware of. And many of us, myself included, were raised in a dysfunctional environment. And it's interesting how we normalize dysfunction. But I want to call us to a higher level that we're not trying to be more like the Francis or the Wilds or the Smiths. We're trying to be more like, come on, Jesus. And if Jesus is in the honor... Come on, we're going to be a church that's in the honor. So he wakes up, he says, curse be Canaan. This is what I learned is that honor has the power to release things in our life. I'm telling you, you want a healthy business? Honor people. You want to honor, you want your employees to be receptive? Honor them. There's something about honor that unlocks things. It's funny that you, uh, today you watch a football game, and we know this phrase, home field advantage. What is the advantage of the home field? I'll tell you what it is. It's that you have a crowd of fans that are honoring you through their cheering. And what I've learned is, is that when people get behind an athlete, it takes them to a higher level. I would go to wrestling matches at Boise State, and I would see wrestlers go beyond their strength, beyond their skill, because of the honor in the room that was cheering them on. And I'm telling you right now, there's something about honor that brings the best out of people. Are you hearing me today? And I just feel this so strong. It's, it's Noah, he's, he, we find here that he, he, he curses his son, and it's, it's crazy, it's disturbing that, that Ham didn't realize that honor had the power not only to bless him, but to take care of all of his children. I think one of the greatest things we can give our kids is a godly example. This is how you honor people. 
I know your teacher's acting like she's from the South Pole, but you know what? We're going to speak well of her anyways. We're going to bless her. We're going to pray. That kid at school that's rude to you, we're going to pray for him anyways. And there's something about honoring people that don't deserve to be honored that releases something that's pleasing to God. So what we find here is that there's really five things I kind of broadened down here in our relationship series is that uh, I believe the first relationship we have to do well in honoring, first and foremost, is I believe that we have to make a decision today that we will be people that honor God. We're going to honor God. Sounds very simple, very generic, but I actually believe this, that many of us, we want the benefits of honoring God, but none of the responsibilities. Like, I want, like, I, like, look, I honor celebrities, but I don't know about God. Like, like, we get starstruck with celebrities, but we don't honor the God that created the stars. And it's crazy to me that we have more respect for a human being than sometimes we do for the living God. And I want to challenge us, if we're going to respect anybody, esteem anybody, let's be a church that says, God, you're worthy of my highest regard. Because to honor something, if you're taking notes, according to Webster's, it means to highly regard, to esteem, or to elevate. Highly regard, to esteem, or to elevate. And I believe there's three ways that we honor God. We honor God, number one, by honoring his name. What I want to bring your attention to is we live in a society, I'm not trying to, we, we welcome atheists, people that don't believe what we believe, but I would make an observation that if you, if you meet someone that cusses a lot, especially when they use very vulgar language, they are usually the same people that use the name Jesus Christ when they cuss. Can I get an honest amen? You ever talk to someone like every other word's the F word, you're like, I got to take a shower now. I feel dirty. But it's interesting that people that use colorful language, usually one of their favorite things to use is Jesus Christ. I've never heard an atheist cuss in the name of Buddha. I've never heard a skeptic cuss in the name of Muhammad. I've never heard someone cuss in the name of Joseph Smith. But I've heard over and over again someone get mad and say, Jesus Christ! You know why they say his name? Because even non-believers feel the power that's in his name. That's not in any other name on the earth. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. And it's just, if I was an atheist, I would go, why is it we don't cuss in any other name? Why is it we're not threatened in America of any other world religion other than Christianity? You're celebrating your, your Eastern world religion? We're going to applaud you. You worship whales or dolphins? We applaud you. You bow for any other cause? We applaud you. You're a Christian? Get out of the NFL. Stop bowing in football games. Why is it that Christian agendas have the most resistance? Could it be that the devil does not confront militaries that are marching his same direction? You're still with me this morning. I believe that honor unlocks things. And I'm telling you today that we got to make up our minds that I'm going to honor the name of God. Exodus chapter 20 says not to take his name in vain. Why is it that society programs us to talk bad in God's name? I swear to God. Really? We don't have to do that. We're going to take his name in honor, not in dishonor. I'm not going to swear to God. I'm just going to say my yes is yes, my no is no. Can I get an amen? I don't need to swear to God. I don't say in Jesus' name or Jesus Christ. I'm going to honor and revere. There's no other name that has power to heal and power to save. And there's no shame here today. So if you've taken his name in vain, you've said things that are derogatory in the name, I want you to know there's no shame here. But I want to encourage you, let's make up our minds today that I'm going to esteem his name. It's going to get special treatment. Number two, it's not only I'm going to honor God through his name, I'm going to honor him through, I'm going to honor his presence. I believe there's something powerful about making a decision, even in stressful moments, to say, God, I know you're here. 
And I want you to know, before I start reading my Bible, before I start praying, or even before I go into this interview or this, this, <clears throat> this dysfunctional relationship conflict, I want you to honor your presence. So right now, God, would you come and would you give me wisdom? Would you come? I honor. I know you're here. Would you please speak to me and speak through me in this situation? I'm telling you that when you begin to honor his presence, you'll start becoming more aware of it. More aware of his presence. And not only am I going to honor his presence, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor his word. I think one of the greatest, I'm going to be honest, if we all would read our Bibles on a regular basis, talk to God, it would solve 90% of our problems in our life. Just crazy. God, just speak to me. There's no other book on the earth that has the power when you read it that it actually begins to read you. It is the only thing in print that has the power to actually examine the motives of your heart. It says it cuts between soul and spirit and is a discerner of your thoughts and the intents of your heart. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible before, but you start reading it and you're like, my gosh, I have an attitude issue today. I am funky today. i got to stop thinking like this, stop talking like this, stop acting like this. God, thank you for your word. People say, man, I don't know if I want to be uncomfortable. I don't know if I want to change. Some people are scared that God's going to make them change if they come to God. My response is, I think change is good. But I want you to know God meets you where you're at, but he loves you too much to let you stay where you're at. It's crazy. I just, I'm convinced of this. We don't, we don't want to feel uncomfortable in church or in our Bibles, but we're okay feeling uncomfortable in the gym. Why are we cool with sweating in the gym and discomfort, but the moment we go to a church, like, man, the preacher kind of made me feel a little bit uncomfortable today. Could it be that discomfort is usually a sign that you're straining something that begins to grow? And I'll be honest, I don't want to go to a church that the devil's cool with me going to. I want to go to a church that when I go there, man, I feel like every time I go there, I feel challenged to come to a higher level. I want to go to a church that's so powerful that my darkness dies when I walk into the room. And I feel like I'm getting spiritual muscle mass. And I'm like, man, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I had a membership to that church for 20 years, and I still look this exact same spiritually. But I started going to Ocean's Church for four weeks. I'm like, oh, I have abs under there. Oh, my gosh. I can see my waist again. I believe that conviction isn't bad. Condemnation is. Listen to me. Darkness will condemn you into feeling like there's no hope. But the Holy Spirit will convict you and say, look, you're not where you need to be. But the good news is, is you can get there. Here's my love. Let's go. That's conviction. We need more conviction in our lives. We read a Bible. God, I just call me higher. One of my mentors said this. He goes, Mark, if we don't go to church with bad motives and bad plans and allow God to change us in a church service, where will we ever come to a higher morality? You know, in the ancient world, wherever Christianity was preached, this entire civilization of those cities were changed, and morality would go through the roof. In the ancient world, Josephus, who was one of the early scholars, who wasn't even a Christian, by the way, it, it, when, he, when it, most of his work was, was done, is Josephus said this about the early Christians, that everywhere Jesus was preached, in the most pagan cities, they called Christianity the moral antiseptic of the cities. Because everywhere Jesus was lifted up and honored, the morale of everybody went higher. I'll be honest, man. No one told me you can't, you can't smoke anymore, you can't cuss anymore, you can't sleep around anymore, can't do this anymore, can't do this. I didn't become a believer because someone told me what I couldn't do. I am a believer 17 years later because some guy got up and told me how good God was. And told me how when he comes into your life, there are things that you can start doing that will change you. You read this book, you'll start feeling things you never felt. 
You'll start having these appetites you've never had. It's crazy. I remember reading my Bible. I came back from a God encounter at a summer camp, and I remember grabbing all of my dirty paraphernalia that I had before Jesus, going down to my fireplace and throwing it into my fireplace, and my grandpa, who was not a Christian, was like, what are you doing? He was sitting on the, like the lazy boy in the living room. I remember lighting up all my dirty magazines, all the stuff that I owned and I possessed before Jesus, and guess what? No preacher said, you got to get rid of that stuff. I just remember going home and seeing some of that stuff in my room, and I'm like, you know what? That's not me anymore. I remember in Boise, Idaho, one of the, 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 the key guys that got, came to faith was a six-foot-five heavyweight wrestler at Boise State. His name was, I'll, leave, I'll call him Jim for the story, but Jim was this big party guy on campus, womanizer. Guy drank like, like a fish and just, just lived a wild lifestyle. And Jim came to our service. He had a shaved head. He was six foot six, and he was like all muscle, like 300 pounds of like muscle. And this dude came up to me after service one night. We had about 50 people at that time in our young adult service. And he came up to me after service, and he looked angry all the time. And he's like, hey, man. And I thought he was going to hurt me. Like, I'm like... I have no one here. All of us cannot take this guy. And I just was scared. And he's like, hey, man, that, was, that touched my heart. I was like, oh, cool, man. <laughs> and so he left. And then the next week he came back to our church. And uh, he was teary-eyed when he said that to me. And, and the next week he came back to our church. And I'll never forget this. He came up to me all excited. He's like, hey, i got to tell you a story. I'm like, yeah, what's up? What's up, Jim? He's like, he's like yeah, I got a call this week from a girl uh, who I normally, you know, I hook up with this girl when she calls me. And she lives on campus here, and so she called me this week and told me to come over so we, we can do what we normally do, and he's like, so I said, okay, and I hung up the phone. I started driving to her house, and he's like, all of a sudden in my car, Pastor Mark, I felt like this presence and like heard like a voice saying that I don't have to do that anymore, so I got my phone, I called her back, I was like, hey, I'm not coming over now, and she's like, why not? He's like, well, I went to church last week, and like, I don't think I'm going to do like this stuff anymore. I never said what he couldn't do. And I want you to, Ocean's Church, we're not going to say what you can't do. We're going to preach what you can do. You can know God, you can hear his voice, and you can honor this thing called the Bible. And everyone said amen. amen. That's what you can do. I'll change you. Almost finished. Is the second thing we're going to do. Not only are we going to honor God, is we're going to honor our parents. It's interesting. It says this in Exodus, to honor your father and your mother. It actually goes on. It goes, goes to far as to say in Ephesians 6, 2, that if you honor your parents, it says two things. Not only will you live long on the earth, it says it will go well with you. Well with you. I don't want to just live long. Abraham Lincoln says it's not the duration of the life. It's the amount of life in the years. I don't want to just live a long time. I want to have a lot of life in the years that I live. And God promises if you'll honor your mom and your dad, There'll be something that comes on your life. Now, I want to be clear here, because some of you, like me, come from dysfunctional families. And I got good news for you today, that you can actually honor your parents without being best friends with them. You can honor them without having them to your house every day and being best buds. I believe that honor is choosing to forgive things that maybe don't deserve to be forgiven. Honor is making a conscious decision. You can write this down today. I believe that what we hate in others is what we become ourselves. And that's why people that were abused when they were little kids and they say, I hate the abuser, I hate the abuse, oftentimes repeat the cycle because you can't break a cycle with hate. You can only break it with forgiveness. Are you hearing me today? So some of you, you're like, I hate my mom, I hate my dad, I hate this situation. I want to encourage you today to make a conscious decision and say, God, they probably didn't know any better. Because that's the truth. Mr. Miyagi said it best. Come on, the great scholar. 
the karate kid. He said, no such thing as a bad student, only a bad teacher. And I believe many parents had had a dysfunctional upbringing, and they actually just repeated the cycle of what they experienced growing up. So I'll make a conscious decision. God, I'm going to honor my mom and my dad. Let me say this. The band can come up here. I'm almost finished. I believe uh, when I was, I was, I think I was tw- uh, 19 years old, again, my dad has been married, divorced three times. All that crazy stuff happened. Some of you know my story. But God told me one day, he said, Mark, you need to call your dad. You need to thank him for teaching you how to be a good father. And I was like, uh, but God, like, I don't know if he was. And he said, yes, he is. He said, he taught you. Listen to me. He said, you don't just learn, Mark, by good example. You have the ability to learn from negative examples. You know what's crazy? My dad did a lot of good things, a lot of things right. But there's things that he didn't do right. And I'll be honest with you, a wise human being is actually educated by both. So I called him and genuinely in my heart, I said, Dad, I want to thank you for teaching me how to be a great father, for teaching me how to be a great husband. I want to thank you for actually giving me an example that I can build my life after. And he, what I, didn't, I didn't tell him, hey, it was a good example and bad example. But I just want you to know that God can educate you through both. Who wants to be an honoring person? I'm going to honor my father and my mother, and it's going to go well with me, and I'm going to live a long life. Number, number three, I'm going to honor my pastors. This sounds pretty self-serving. <laughs> Let's honor these pastors. I want you to know that I really do believe that honor, listen to me, it unlocks the potential in everybody, including your pastors. Been able to preach at over, I think, about 150 churches or more in the last 11 or 12 years. I've been all over. I think I've preached on almost every continent. And I've been to some of the greatest churches in Australia and, 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 I mean, all over Asia and America and some of the largest churches, the most famous churches. And a lot of times the, the guys that I'll hang out with, young pastors, youth pastors will say, How, Mark, where do you speak? Where do you feel like you do the best? Where do you speak the best? When do you feel like your best messages come out of you? It's a very easy answer for me. I say, I will always, I feel like, go to the best potential that I have in a room or an environment that has a lot of honor in it. It's funny, I study the same, I read the same, I pray the same, I fast the same, and I go to some churches and God shows up in miraculous ways, and I go to other churches after the same preparation and nothing happens. And I'm like, God, where the heck are you? And what I've learned is it's less about the pastor's anointing and it's more about the audience's hunger for God. It's more about the honor in this pew than it is about the anointing behind the pulpit. And I'm telling you, Mark chapter 6 gives us a powerful story that Jesus goes into his hometown. In verse 4 and 5, it says, he could not do any miracles. And his disciples says, God, you were raising the dead. You were like doing all these great exploits. Why are we only healing headaches here? And Jesus says, I'm in Nazareth. And everybody in my hometown just says, oh, that's just Jesus. That's Joseph's son. He like, he put our bathroom cabinets in. He built my nightstand. That's just little Jesus. And you know what happens? Familiarity will actually rob the honor that releases the potential in the leader. And I'm telling you, this is not for my benefit. Again, this is not for me. I, I, I share this all over where I've traveled in the world. I believe that honor is what takes people to the next level. I want to get behind you. I mean, I love my dentist, Brad. He's a phenomenal dentist. He's straightening up my teeth as we speak. And I'm telling you right now that when you go into an office and you actually say, I trust you enough, do what only you can do. I'm not in there like saying, are you sure that's what you're going to do? You need that tool, really? Is that, come on, really? Is this what we're doing? I don't ever argue with him because I honor his expertise. You follow me? 
Why do we call it home field advantage? Because everyone's behind them. And I believe that at churches, pastors oftentimes don't have the home field advantage in their own churches. They go to other conferences, miracles are happening, and they come home. And God really bothered me with this. In the early days, I would go and I went to Australia and I'd see these miracles in the meetings. And I'd come back to our youth ministry and like, it'd be like boring, dry, dull service. And I'm like, guys, what's going on? And God just said, teach them on the power of honor. Honor is what unlocks the potential in all of us, including pastors. I'm going to take it a step further. Is that right? I've been, I remember hanging out with John Bevere, and he told me this story one time. He says, Mark, I've been to churches. I would drive him around when he came to Idaho. And I was asking him these questions, and he said, Mark, I've been to churches that try to help God. And they, they take every dollar out of the church, which I want to be clear on this. I have not taken a penny from Ocean's Church in the year that we've been here. No one's on staff yet at this church. We are all volunteers. That's a good, good spot for a hand clap right there. That's pretty impressive, right? Listen, I want to be clear on this. John Bevere says, Mark, I've been to churches that try to help God out. And they pay the pastor a meager salary. He lives in a broken down house, drives broken down cars. He can't send his kids to any camps, anything fun. His kids are wearing clothes that are holier than the Bible. And he says this to me. He goes, their kids usually grow up and they hate God. The church is suffering. He's like, and the business people in that church are usually suffering too. And it's like the whole church has this oppressive thing on it. And he says, and then I go to other churches Oh, and that's what he said. He goes, and they take the money they would give maybe to the pastors and leaders and the staff, and they put it into the missions organizations, and they do give thousands of dollars to missions. He says, but then I go to other churches, and the pastors and the staff, they they have a good salary. They live in a nice house. They drive new cars. They can send their kids to nice camps and go on vacations. And he goes, you know what's interesting? The business people in those churches, they're not full of struggling businesses. They're, They're full of prosperous businesses. And those churches, they don't give thousands to missions. Those churches give millions of dollars to missions. We don't have to help God out here. It says in Timothy, God says, those that rule in authority, especially those that teach the Bible and rule well in the church, are worthy of double honor. And actually translates double pay. But when we try, we're like, no, let's just, pastors, we all know that pastors are supposed to be broke. Churches are supposed to just, they're supposed to get the leftovers of society. But I want you to know that I believe the greatest organism on the earth is the church. And if we have the greatest message, we should have the greatest buildings. And if we have the greatest buildings, we should have the greatest crowds. Forgive me, but I don't think Coldplay should, should get a larger crowd than Jesus Christ should. I think that the greatest meetings on the world shouldn't be Super Bowls. They should be services that honor the presence of God. Good spot for a hand. Come on, give me a real hand clap this morning. Sorry, I'm fired up. I'll finish up here. So we're going to be a church that honors our leaders well. We're going to honor our leaders, small group leaders, pastors. We're going to honor well. And finally, I'll close with this. We're going to honor our, our, our political leaders. And that's going to get quiet in the Presbyterian church just for a minute. But the Bible is really clear in Romans 13. I, you know what I wish it said? I almost wish it wasn't in there. I, I wish it, this verse wasn't Because Romans 13.1 says that all authority is God-placed be clear here, it doesn't say all authority is godly. It says all authority is God-placed. And what you'll know about Ocean's Church, and if you're here, this is part of your church, you never have to worry about me getting up here and going off on political rants. That's not who we are. But I will go off on theological rants. And the Bible is very clear in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It says to pray for your leaders in authority, that you might live a quiet and a peaceable life.
Who wants America to be quiet and peaceable? Three of you do. Come on, who wants America to be quiet, without wars, without drama, and peaceable? He says, pray for your leaders. Now, I'm telling you right now, I think, listen, I think it's more important that people know our eternal view more than our political view. Billy Graham, at the end of his life, said this powerful statement on a, a documentary I watched. He was being interviewed, and they said, if you could do anything over again, Billy, what would you do? He said, I would have been quieter about my political stances. He said, because the moment I said I supported a, a nominee or a candidate, he said, immediately, 50% of my audience shut down to me. You know what's crazy? I believe many times, we don't realize this, we're more passionate about our party than we are our God. And I'm not saying you can't vote this way or that way. Please vote. Everybody vote. But I want to encourage you that we will be a church that whether it's Barack Obama or Donald Trump or George Bush or Bill Clinton, we're going to pray for all presidents. We're going to pray for all governors. We're going to pray for all. Come on, help, come help me out this morning. We're praying for everybody. And I would argue that the more dysfunctional they are, the more prayers they need. Sound logic, people. And I think if the church got more into praying for leaders and less into criticizing them, we'd see more quiet peaceableness in the land. Sorry, get off the soapbox. So we will be a church that honors God. We're going to honor our parents. We're going to honor those in authority over us. And we're going to honor po po political leaders, pastors. We're going to honor these people. Would you stand on your feet today? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.